0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Cat Principle podcast by yours truly, Albert Bolter. Tonight, folks, we have a special show. In keeping with the theme of the last two episodes, namely change, I thought it'd be a great idea to have somebody that I've known for many, many years and uh, who has also personally undergone a lot of change, both in the professional sense as well as personal sense. And his name is Robert Collins, he is fire chief for the town of blue mountains fire department which is a fire service comprised of about 44 on-call volunteer firefighters supported by seven full-time firefighters and officers the town of blue mountains for those of you that don't know is located on georgian bay by collingwood here in ontario canada it's actually a beautiful area if you haven't been it's worth a visit and um yeah so i'll give you a little background on chief collins He began his fire service career in 1991 as a volunteer firefighter, at that time with the newly formed Tainanaga Township Fire Department, which is due east of Toronto, about two and a half hours. In the years since, he has served with the Port Hope Fire Department, with Mission British Columbia Fire and Rescue Service, and now currently with the Town of Blue Mountains Fire Department. Uh, Chief Collins has been involved in the Ontario Association of Fire Chiefs as a member of the Rural Suburban Committee, the Fire Prevention Committee and the Home Fire Sprinkler Initiative Advisory Committee and was a member of the Vulnerable Sector Occupancy Working Group, which introduced new requirements for fire safety systems in care facilities, seniors' homes and other institutional occupancies in the province. Chief Collins has also been an active member of the Canadian Association of Fire Chiefs having worked in their life safety and fire prevention committees as well as the editorial committee for Canadian Fire Chief Magazine. Should be noted he's very proud of the program he operates in the Blue Mountains. Their unique service model is intensely fire prevention focused and features a well integrated composite firefighter complement. He's a firm believer in the value of proactive public education programs and has been has been a keen supporter of mandating residential automatic sprinkler systems in ontario homes chief collins has been awarded the fire services exemplary service award by the office of the governor general of canada as well as the fire services long service medal by the government of ontario as you can tell quite a distinguished uh, resume and uh, look forward to now a great having great discussion with chief collins with respect to changes within the firefighting uh, services, as well as personal change that he's undergone over the years. So we'll be back in a moment with Chief Robert Collins. Welcome to the Cat Principal Podcast chief collins great to have you on the show tonight
1: thank you it's good to be here and uh just let me uh congratulate you on your on your podcast and uh i think it's going to be a good
0: endeavor for you well thank you very much i appreciate it and uh to the audience out there i just want to let you know that um tonight's podcast is uh regarding change as if you've listened to the last couple episodes that was the topic and it was a, it's a result of a book i'd written called the cat principle change action trust and chief collins is somebody i've known for pretty much uh, almost close to our entire lives right chief
1: <laughs> it's getting it, it's getting to be more of our life and uh, as, as our memory as our memories get longer and our lives get shorter Exactly. (laughs) And I thought,
0: I thought uh, to the audience out there, I thought I'd have Chief Collins on as the first interview of the podcast. So you're the inaugural interviewee of this podcast.
1: Congratulations. (laughs) There's there's a whole, a whole different level of honor on its own. (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. (laughs) Um, And the reason I thought this is because having known Chief Collins for such a long time, I know he's gone through a lot of change, both in the fire industry that he's been an active participant of since 1991, so 28 years, as well in his personal life. So the way i intend to structure this interview is to deal in the first segment with change within the fire industry. So we're gonna have Chief Collins talk about that to us. And in the second segment, we'll talk about his life personal change. And I think he can add some valuable insights there on dealing with change and what it means and how to uh, to move forward through it. So to kick this off, Chief Collins, I'm going to start off with a, a key question regarding the fire sector. And basically, given you've been in the industry so long, I'd like to ask you the question, in what uh, in what way do you see is the biggest change that you've witnessed in the fire sector since since being an active participant since 1991? Maybe you could give us some thoughts on that.
1: I think the biggest change that we've seen in in the sector is is really in the workforce itself. Uh, it, it used to be that um, people coming into the fire service were uh, a little bit older, um, had some life experience, had some uh, a, a lot of times were trades people. Uh, it, it, there wasn't a school you could go to to be a firefighter. It was uh, it was something that uh, most of us felt was sort of a calling, and uh, we got into it. Uh, because of that, um, none of us really knew anything about fighting fire. Uh, we got in, we did the training on the job. We all, we had our different experiences. There were mechanics and contractors and electricians and, and whatever. Uh, and, and we all sort of fit into the role of firefighter. What we're seeing now is it's, it's a career choice. And we have community college programs now, and we've got younger people that are deciding on this as a career and uh, and so it's a it's a little bit different workforce than than probably what we've seen in the past. That's probably the biggest difference i would say
0: and and what do you think i mean that's that's an interesting uh interesting thought there what do you think caused that to be a change from a calling to more of a career choice? Do you think that's a societal uh you know, well, i think it's
1: yeah, I, I think a, a couple of things. Over the years, uh, and you've probably seen these reports where they they talk about the most respected professions, right? And they uh, year after year, firefighters are consistently at the top. They're right. the most respected profession, and and somewhere down near the bottom, you'll usually find, you know, lawyers and commercial real estate brokers.
0: (laughs) No, no, be careful. Uh,
1: But no, it it has become, uh, it's sort of a profession that people look up to now. And I I think that's a big part of it. Uh, And then a a smaller uh, side of it, I believe is is also that it's become kind of a a good paying profession. Um, the, The terms of work are much better than they used to be back in the day. I mean, we're fighting... Fewer fires. We we have safer equipment. It's mm-hmm. uh, a, you know slightly less of a risk. Mm-hmm. The the pay has certainly gone up. I can say uh, mm-hmm. it's it's a, you know a fairly well paying profession, and uh, I think it's appealing to somebody that's that's coming out of school and is looking for a direction. It's uh, it's got lots going for it.
0: Now, with that change in terms of being going from a column to more of a profession. Has that also brought with it any challenges that you've had to deal with in the sector?
1: I, I think any time that, that you know, I think there's a little bit of people doing it for money now, where it, it wasn't so much before. It used to be a pretty crappy job, to be honest. Right. Uh, it, it was, you know, it was it was a low-paying job, and uh, people always had other things on going on the side you know there were no professional firefighters that were only firefighters everybody had a, a side gig uh and, and i i think when you when you get we still have people that are doing it because it's a calling to them don't get me wrong but okay, okay. when you get people that that are coming in because you know it's good work and it's good pay sometimes maybe you don't get the dedication that that we used to see um and also i think we've we're getting more people that get into it and don't realize what they've gotten into okay. um, there are some people that just are not cut up for this type of work in, in, as what, you can way? in,
0: what, in what way are they, would you say well, a little bit more specific
1: well you know we see we see some some stressing things yeah. uh yeah. You, know, you, have to, you have to be ready to come in and and it, it's not a walk in the park every day and it it, it has effects on people and and we're seeing uh, one of the things that we focused on recently is uh, there, there's been uh, mental health issues with people that that get in and they just can't handle what they're seeing and what they're experiencing. Uh, we've we've been putting a lot of effort into um, making sure that people are looking after their mental health. Right. Uh, so I, I, and I think part of that comes from uh, maybe maybe people that came in looking through rose colored glasses and thought that it was going to be a different type of job than what it really is. It's still pretty gritty. Yeah. A lot of days, uh, I, you know, if you're not ready for that, it can be a challenge. Interesting. Okay. And so you think
0: some people just aren't prepared for that when they get there? They, they kind of see, you know, the glory, but they don't see the, uh, the tough side of that. Um,
1: yeah, I think yeah. not everybody, as I say, you may not know that you're not. C- that first day that you witnessed some gruesome. And uh, I, I think we're seeing some of these, some people that are, they they think they know what they were getting into. And I think it's it's hit people in uh, pretty stressful ways.
0: Let me ask you this. When you first started, did, um, what was your so-called baptism by fire there to say in terms of the first time you came across something that was really uh, out of the ordinary? Did that kind of hit you or how,
1: how, maybe you can explain a bit? That's kind of an interesting point, you know, what's that like know, like I, the first time? I can vividly remember the first time I was involved in a fatality on the job and it was early on and I, I joined a, a small a rural volunteer department um, and the first significant, uh, the first fatality that I was ever involved in was a farm accident where a, a tractor had flipped over and uh, a young man was uh, trapped underneath and had, had uh, been crushed to death. Wow. Uh, and so we got called in there for the rescue by the time we got in i mean it was too late and um, so some of we had to go and, and lift the tractor and, and and pull the poor fellow uh, out right. out from under it right. um, i didn't know how i would react to that I, I i was i was chosen to be on the detail to go in and actually drag out the the, the victim right and it, I remember thinking, you know, this is a challenge. I've I've never seen this before. I don't know how I'm going to react to it. Right. And uh, got in there, you know, screwed up my courage, got in and 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 did my job. And uh, uh, and actually, I, and I'm not sure how I felt about it at the time, but it it didn't affect me. Right. And yeah, I found that it you know as sad as it was and everything. I mean, that the harder part was that the the, the man's father was there, and was. Right quite distraught. And, and that was a little bit difficult to deal with. But, um, you know, actually dealing with the, the body, uh, mm-hmm. it, it didn't affect me. And so, um, you know, going forward, uh, I was able to go into those things with more confidence. Right, right. And do you think that
0: that's the case for most firefighters? I mean, they have to see a lot of horrific things, right? So I guess, but you mentioned, you know, I guess, what do they call it? Post-traumatic
1: stress syndrome? we're We're very conscious of of post traumatic stress disorder Oh, disorder um, right. yeah. it's um it's it's become more prevalent uh, and and it's something that we're more aware of I, i'm not sure <laughs> there are schools of thought and and i i kind of believe that uh you know our our forefathers our fathers and grandfathers went and fought wars and and saw things worse than what we're seeing on the fire ground right and, and I'm not sure if it's it, whether it's you know, we're just raised differently, whether we just see things a little differently. But it, it, it seems to be that more people are more profoundly affected now by things like that than what they used to be. Okay,
0: that, that, that's interesting. Now, maybe here's a question for you. Given what you mentioned earlier about the fire services going more from a calling to a profession career, could that be one of, could that be a result of that kind of switch that you're now having to face this challenge more often with people getting the firefighters getting maybe a little bit more distressed than they used to because it's not a calling quote unquote, but it's
1: more of a career. I think more specifically what that is, is I I think that back in my day, when I first came in, I had given some thought to, you know, what I'm going to experience and what I'm going to see and I sort of had an idea in my mind that I would be able to take that. I had given it some thought. And I'm not sure that people that are getting into it now are really, are really putting that thought into it. I see. Okay. And when I do interviews, when, when we take on new firefighters, I always make sure to throw a question in, into the interview to, to just sort of let them know, let the person know that th- this is what could happen. This is what you need to be ready for. And have you given some thought to you know, actually being able to handle it. Right. Unfortunately in a, in a job interview situation, you tend to answer the question the way you think you're supposed to answer. Right. I'm not sure that people are really putting that thought into it. Hmm. Okay.
0: Now, overall, how would you say the sector as a whole, you know, maybe it's a little more of a broad question, but how would you say the fire services sector as a whole has Dealt with these types of changes going on, and you know, how is that different with how how you would deal with something on a micro level as opposed to the sector dealing with it on a macro
1: level? I don't know if you follow what I'm trying to get at there. Well, I, I think I think everybody now, every sector is is becoming micro focused on safety. Okay. I, I think you I think you'll see that across sectors um the, the, if you 're going to lift something now uh if it's more than i don 't know twenty pounds there's a whole procedure that you have to go through to lift it where thirty years ago we would have just walked up to it and grabbed onto it as best we could and picked it up and carried it I'm not saying that that was the better way because you know, there were a lot of back injuries and know there are a lot of people that lost time at work because they didn't do things properly and we've become you know very keenly focused on doing everything safely down to the mental health aspect of going to a call and seeing something making sure that we're we're communicating with people that have seen uh, maybe some bad things we're making sure that their their families know that they're dealing with that Um, their coworkers are all Looking at so it's almost like a, a a new level of health and safety that's related to the mental health part, uh, and and it's not just the mental part either. It's it's um, you know we we used to climb up you'd climb up on a truck and and um, put the hose back on the top of the truck. Right. There's a whole procedure for that now, and you have to wear a safety belt and uh-huh. um, it, 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 that type of safety consciousness has come into our service in a way that. We didn't see before,
0: has and it, that's that's
1: yeah. a bad. Thing. I'm sorry. That's that's not a bad thing, right?
0: Right. Has it has it in any way hindered though?
1: I, I don't think so. We're we're still we're still free to do what we do when it's an emergency. Mm-hmm. So you know we don't have to follow the bi- the the uh, health and safety bible, the the green book, or uh, what we call our Section 21 guidelines, which okay. lay out all the safety details. Right. When we're in an emergency, we're going. We're just, we do what we got to do. Uh, and so I, I don't think it's actually hindering the service. I think some of, us, some of us that have been in for a while that, you know, are a little uh, more set in our ways sort of are maybe annoyed by some of the things that we have to do now, but it, it's for a reason. It, it's, it's evolving uh, in, in the name of safety. So, um, yes, it is different, but it's not necessarily bad.
0: Okay, so it, yeah, it sounds like it's a guideline, but obviously when it's an emergency situation, you're going to act as, as you need to, right, at the
1: time. As a service, we, we do unsafe things mm-hmm. as safely as possible. That's, that's sort of the motto. Um, there, there's no truly safe way to go into a burning building. Right. You, you can put all the gear on that you want, and you can do all the procedures that you want, and we go in as a team. It, it, you're going into a burning building. It, it's intrinsically not safe, right? right. So, uh, you know, it, it, once you get your head around that, then it, it's it's not that bad to deal with.
0: Uh, how, how about the the training aspect, Chief Collins? How about has that changed over the years from since you started in '91 in to now? Is training more specific, more detailed? It sounds like it is.
1: The training is definitely um, more more prescribed. We operate to a standard. We we use the National Fire Protection Association standards, which is, uh, it's an American uh, organization, but they, it, it sets out all the standards for pretty much everything that we do. So we we follow that. In Ontario, for a long time, we didn't. But in the last 10 years, we've switched over to NFPA. So that was, uh, so yeah. Uh, yeah, our training is. Uh, it's, it's very specific. And, and the other thing is it's, it's very specific to what it is that we do. So here I am the chief in the, in the blue mountains, we have specific programs that we do and we have some things that we don't do. Uh, we do water rescue, for example, because we have a large, uh, Georgian shoreline. A a lot of towns never do water rescue, but we do very specific training. That's, uh, it's again, to NFPA standard, but it's very specific to water rescue. Um, we don't do um, hazardous materials responses for just because we don't have that type of highway. We don't have any industrial um, occupancies that use those kinds of materials. So we don't do the hazardous materials technician training that some somebody in Toronto, for example, would have to do. So it's very specific to the jurisdiction you're in, right? That's right. This yes. makes
0: sense. Which makes
1: sense. Say it saves us. You know, we, it, our, our training time is kind of precious to us and so we want to make sure that we're using it in as effective a manner as possible.
0: So as you know a couple of days ago a very sad event there with Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris uh, burning and um, I came across an interesting article today about how the firefighters there had were able to send a robot in to put out a large part of that fire and uh, so I guess I guess that kind of spells a question out in terms of technology and firefighting. It looks like there's a lot of change going on from that point of technology. I mean, that, I, I believe that was a French-built robot that they used. But um, is, this, is this something I would imagine these are trends that we see throughout the fire services internationally, that as technology advances, that firefighters or firefighting community is also putting technology to work?
1: Technology in the fire service is an interesting uh, an interesting dynamic um, we we always say that we are uh, two hundred years of tradition unimpeded by progress mm-hmm. uh, and to some extent that is true uh, we in north america we um, very much cling to some old tactics and we i think in in canada we've maybe pulled ahead a little bit but in the u s if you if you watch the news any given night and you 'll see a Structure fire, you know, a building on fire. The first thing you'll notice is that there's probably 30 people on the roof, right. and that goes back a hundred years or more. That's that's what you did. You put guys on the roof. You punched holes in the roof to ventilate, and you got water in on the fire. Uh, it, it in in modern construction techniques, it's just not as safe as it used to be, and so we've gotten away from that. But it's it's a very traditional way of fighting fire. If you look in Europe, I, I found it. Uh, very interesting to watch that firefight in Paris uh, right. at, at the cathedral, yeah. their tactics are completely different um, they, they embrace that robotic technology if i If I was to bring a proposal to bring a firefighting robot into our service, right. that would have to be done in, consul- in consultation with our uh, with the union uh, because our collective agreement says that any technology that would displace a firefighter from work. Uh, has to be agreed upon by the union before we would be allowed to do that. So, uh, you know, a little different mindset, I think. Hmm. Um, the Europeans have, for years, I know, been using trucks um, with remote control nozzles. Um, they they are much less reliant on sending fire crews into peril, oh, okay. um, which is makes a lot of sense if you think about it. Um, you know, why put people inside a burning building if you don't need to are, are you are you aware
0: of any i guess studies that have been done in terms of the effectiveness of how they're doing it and how we may not be doing it here on this side of the pond
1: you know it's it's something that it, it's really not studied probably as much as it should be and if you go if you go looking for it there are there have been some studies done mm-hmm. but it's not something that's mainstream in as far as the industry and as far as the training that we're doing uh, which is which is kind of too bad. Uh, when I was watching that firefight again, there, right. there some of the some of the differences in tactics I, I was quite surprised by. Um, like, uh, if you notice, yeah. well, for example, if you if you notice that they had one elevated hose stream fighting that fire, yes, I saw that. Right, there was only one. If you had that fire in Toronto, mm-hmm. you would have I would say anywhere from five to a dozen. Uh, ladder trucks there with elevated hose streams dumping water on that roof i was a little surprised that they didn't the surprising thing is that if if you read the the accounts of how that fire actually went that the the majority of the interior of that cathedral is going to be able to be saved Mm -hmm. and part of that is because they didn't put a million gallons of water inside there and and our tactics would have been put up as many streams as possible and dump as much water as we could on that roof. And all that water ends up inside. So um, if you recall when uh, you and I had a discussion the night as, as it was going on and, and I predicted that the interior of that place was going to be ruined just because of the amount of water they were going to have in there. Right. And with the tactic, the tactics that they used, they, they really didn't have as much of that problem as what I expected. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, the, the robot
0: that they had went right into the cathedral, right? And
1: it's yes, a... and, and the, the, the brilliant thing about that yeah. was that they could put that thing in yeah. uh, in, in, a, in an area where you, you couldn't put men to work. I mean, men could go in there and work for 20 minutes and have to come out. Right. They could put that thing in, set it up, aim a, a strategic stream of water exactly where it needed to be to protect what was in there,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and leave it in there for hours. And it wouldn't complain. It wouldn't need a need a break you know it 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 just would go in there and do its job so uh, a really important piece of technology I think and it's something that I hope that eventually we will look at and, and bring into service here. Yeah
0: and as a footnote to that you've probably heard that the firefighters were all honored today in uh, in Paris for, for the, the excellent job they did there.
1: Yeah as they should be I mean that 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 was uh you know as, as tragic as that fire was there were no injuries there were no fatalities um that the, the damage was limited to i mean they lost the the roof of a great structure but the the rest of it stands and mm-hmm. uh yeah they, they deserve all kinds of credit for for what they did interesting uh i i started doing a little research on the uh, the Paris Fire Brigade. Yeah, yeah. and uh, I, I learned a few a few things that I, I didn't know. Um, and, and talking about change and, and not change, right. um, the Paris Fire Brigade is actually a military. It's a branch of the military. Oh, okay. And it was it was formed by Napoleon, and, and to to uh, provide fire service for Paris. There are there are two military fire brigades in France. One's in Paris, and the other's in Marseille. And uh, I, I thought it was interesting that they keep that tradition. And uh, if you see their their parade uniforms, they, they very much uh, Napoleon um, things, so uh, it's yeah, quite, quite interesting. interesting.
0: They they look like uh, French military then, yeah, okay,
1: and, and French military,
0: yeah, okay. Um, I don't know, your mic seems a little bit uh, off, Rob. I, I, I don't know if there's an issue there or a technical issue, no. Nah. Uh, I think it's okay. okay on, um, it's coming out a little fuzzy on my end here, but uh, we'll see if it comes back uh, clear. Um, well, I'd like to ask you, you know, we talked a bit about what you've seen over the last 27, 28 years. Where do you see the, the sector going? Do you see any big changes coming down the line that you, you, you anticipate or see happening?
1: I, I think we're going to the the sector is is going to change because um, we're we're good at what we're doing and and part of that is prevention. Uh, we've we've gotten more focused on fire prevention um, and and from a building perspective, we're we're building safer buildings. It's leading to is fewer calls, um, so I think what you're going to see is the service is going to branch out into other service and and what's been happening in in Ontario uh, and other parts of Canada is that you're seeing the fire service get more involved in uh, medical responses. Uh,
0: uh, Are you there, Chief Collins? For some reason, folks, I can't hear Chief Collins. We're having a little bit of a technical issue here.
1: All right, it you, shows that I'm still talking. You, to okay.
0: You. You're back now. I don't know why that went out. Sorry folks, but a little bit of technical issue there. So you're back on now. <laughs> New technology. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a change in technology. So, so at just, just the finish off that thought uh, where you said you see the sector going that's where I, I lost you a bit there so um, what was your thought there again uh, chief what, what, what were you thinking
1: so so what we're seeing is that uh, we're, we're fighting fewer fires we're uh, you know the building codes are have changed and our fire prevention has changed to the point where we're having fewer fires fewer significant calls and so what we're seeing is um, we're starting to branch out into other areas of emergency service and, and in particular medical calls. Um, the Americans have been doing this successfully for some time. They do it a little bit differently than we do. So um, in, in the States, right. you'll find that the fire department actually runs the ambulance service. So in the fire hall, you will have ambulances and you will have trained paramedics that work for the fire department and, and do those responses. We're slowly moving that way. Right now, we're, we're seeing city fire departments that are running these medical calls in support of the ambulance service, which is separate, which is run by the upper tier, either, the, either by the province or by the county. Okay. Um, I think what we'll see as time goes on is that those services will merge and we'll find that the fire service will actually run the ambulance service. And so our firefighters will become paramedics. Right and it'll be a more efficient way to to do what we're what we've been trying to do for the past few years uh so i I think that's the biggest significant change that we're going to see coming it sounds
0: like a positive change though
1: i think it will be i think it will be uh in in my own department um i've been trying to go against the stream if you will a little bit in in terms of how these services are run we have um a, a what is called a composite department. So we have some volunteer firefighters that they're, they're basically paid on call. Uh, and then we also have some full-time firefighters um, rather than having our full-time guys sitting in the station, waiting for a call. They are out doing fire prevention stuff. They're doing inspections on, on properties. They are doing public education in the schools and with uh, other public groups we're very proactive in terms of uh, fire prevention and public education. Um, I think I'm, to, to my knowledge, I'm the only one running a program like that in, in the province. Oh, okay. um, I, I have no full-time, strictly firefighters. Uh, my, my full-time complement is all um, kind of multi-purpose personnel. So they are able to fight fires if needed but they're also qualified to do inspections and they're also good at doing public education. And I think uh, in, in terms of especially smaller, smaller communities, maybe not so much the city of Toronto, but uh, anywhere where it's smaller, where the call volumes are lower and um, there, there's just not the demand for fighting fires day after day. In, you know, there are, there are stations in Toronto where they're, they're out all day every day. They, they never rest, but uh, there are communities like ours where, We do 200 calls a year on average, and maybe half a dozen of them will be actual fires. So it's hard to keep a a dedicated firefighter busy just fighting fires. So I've been trying to um, utilize my people a little uh, more efficiently so they can do a lot of other things. And uh, we've actually seen that with the fire prevention work that we're doing, we are seeing even fewer fires uh, as time goes on, so our we're we're trending down in terms of calls. Okay, that's a good uh, and, thing. And uh, yeah, and, and I think we're we're running the model for I I think how future departments are going to be run.
0: Now, just a point of clarification: uh, when I read your bio, it said that you were supported by seven full-time firefighters and officers.
1: Yeah, well, there there are seven. Um, uh, there are four that are. Uh, Uh, unionized career fire personnel. None of them are firefighters. Oh, okay. Uh, So they are, uh, fire prevention inspectors, uh, as the primary role we have one that's full-time, uh, uh, training officer as primary role. Uh, then there are two deputy chiefs and, uh, one admin staff.
0: Gotcha. Okay. I was just clarifying there. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: So, yeah. uh, where, you'll, you'll see departments where they have uh, a number of what is, what are called first-class firefighters and all they do is do emergency calls. So, you know, fighting fires or, you know, doing rescue calls or medical calls or what have you, but they don't do prevention. They don't do public education. Um, that, that's where ours are, uh, our, our program's a little different. Okay. Well, here, here's a, a good segue then. Uh, you know,
0: some of our listeners out there that may be listening to this is uh, how to become a firefighter. And if you look back to your time when you got involved in the volunteer volunteer uh, firefighter, becoming a volunteer firefighter back in 91, if somebody today wants to, you know, try to become a firefighter, has that changed dramatically? And if so, in what way? And is it tough to become a firefighter today?
1: I think overall it's gotten tougher to get in just and part of that is just because a lot of people want to do it okay. uh, but it depends on where you are When I got in, I was in a very small community we didn 't have a fire department, and I happened to go to a, a public meeting where they were going to they were discussing should we start a fire department uh and and at one point, one of the council members said well if we do start a fire department, where are we going to get firefighters? Who's going to volunteer for that? And, and I stood up and, and said, I'll volunteer. And, and 20 of us uh, ended up volunteering there. Um, so, and and there was still a selection process, but I mean, obviously when you're, when you're starting from scratch, it it's, you know, the bars may be a little lower. So maybe I was able to get in underneath that a little bit. Um, and I'm sure there are places like that today, where uh, you know, small volunteer departments that are desperate for people, and, and basically, if if you want to join, you you joined. Uh, but I think that's getting to be uh, it's got, it's gotten kind of rare. You have to be up in the north somewhere, or uh, somewhere quite rural, uh, in terms of getting in anywhere else. I know that in uh, to, to get into the town of the Blue Mountains right. Fire Department, right. there we have a whole a whole process even as a volunteer um, there are uh, interviews and, and there 's testing we actually have our um, our candidates go through uh, a learning process where they they do some online learning they have to do a test um, we use their test results as uh, to grade them uh, in, in terms of uh, whether they get in or not uh, so you know' it 's quite involved uh, much more so than it used to be back probably when I get in I, I remember um, talking to a fire chief back in the early 90s, uh, and it was from rural Ontario, but not that rural, not that far from here, right. um, where to get on the department, you had to show up for six training nights in a row. And if you made it through six, then you were on the department. And and I, I asked the chief, well, so what, what are you doing at these? And he said, oh, you just come out and drink and play cards.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you survive that. So... Uh,
1: if you if you did that six times in a row, then you were allowed to come and uh, join the fire department. So uh, that, I, I can tell you that, that, the that
0: early uh eighteen nineties.
1: <laughs> uh, no, that was actually probably the mid nineteen nineties. I don't
0: would you you wouldn't see that today anymore, would you? Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> I doubt it. I, I doubt it. I, I am aware of two fire departments that still have a bar in the fire station you mean a and bar i won't say who they are
0: pull-ups on or
1: a bar a bar, a bar <laughs> that it's a place you go and have a drink with your friends <laughs> I, I know of two out of uh close to 100 in in the province <laughs> that used to be you know very oh, common is that
0: right? okay so there's a big change there. It, it, it did at, one,
1: at one time but yes there's you know if you want to talk about change it, it has uh become quite a bit more professional and yeah. That which time. i guess
0: is a good thing right
1: uh, yeah of course uh and, and uh you know with everything i yeah. mean uh we we used to do things well i i shouldn't i shouldn't lump you into that statement but <laughs> some of us used to do a lot less safely than what was probably good for us back in uh in those days
0: well you know it's interesting you say that because uh you know i i spent uh eight years in the air force as you know and my audience now knows but and i can remember talking when i was going through the air force pilot training that uh and that was back in the late 80s and the guys that were instructing us you know these guys were flying jets in the 60s and 70s and the stories they had to tell about the stuff they did and back in the late 80s it was just they would say like oh you guys have no idea the stuff we did like getting in the planes and (laughs) flying out and, you know, and and at that time there was a lot more drinking in the air force at that time. In fact, uh, I don't know how it is today, but we were already considered we couldn't hold our own to the guys that were there in the sixties and seventies. So I think that's probably a cultural thing, societal change that we've
1: seen and it's across the board, right? I'm sure. And, and as much, you know, you say that uh, we've gotten away from, um, I, I can remember a radio broadcast and it wasn't my, my department, but, uh, it, it was a, a neighboring department. We used to be able to listen to each other's calls all the time. Uh, we'd come over the radio and, uh, this neighboring department had been out at a, at a tough, uh, house fire right. all night and it was nine 30, o'clock in the morning. And I heard a radio broadcast came over the, the main channel that everyone in the County listened to. And it was, uh, one of the officers on scene said, uh, Calling the chief, saying, uh, "Chief, do you still have that case of beer in the back seat of your car?" <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if, if that kind of thing came over the air today, oh, somebody would, uh, would it's all definitely hear about different, it. Right? <laughs> but you know, ironically, uh, I've over the past couple of months now uh, have had meetings and and you know we're we're coming up with operating guidelines now to deal with the fact that, um, that, that marijuana is now going to be legal. Yeah, that's a good, good question there.
0: Now that marijuana is legal, what's the fire service's take on this?
1: Well, of course, uh, we've, we've brought out policies that say that you absolutely can't be under the influence and come to work, which obviously it makes sense. Right. I mean, Well, just like uh, drinking, right? You know, Same thing. For sure. Um, but it, it, it gets tricky because there's now uh, uh, medical marijuana being prescribed. And um, it, it, there's, there's also a, a bit of uncertainty about how long does this stuff stay in your system and how long does it affect you? So if, if you're a firefighter and, and you choose to go home after your shift and uh, you know you want to smoke a little weed uh, on your own time uh, for, for your own leisure – how how soon is it safe for you to come back to work? How soon is it out of your system? It, how long does it continue? It to stays longer you? in the
0: system, right?
1: That's what we're hearing, and and uh, you know, so it it it's there's a lot of uh, difficulty in dealing with that, and we're all sort of struggling to get a handle on it right now. And is that uh, well? I guess that's more an Ontario
0: thing, right? As a, because a lot of places it's still not. Uh... Well, no, it's Canadian now. It's all Canada. Canada, Canada, Canada. Great. Right. I'm just thinking. Yeah, definitely. The states, it's down in the U.S. It's state to state, right? Like Colorado, it's legal, but other states. Yeah,
1: I know that they struggle with that down there, just because of state to state. You know, you can you can cross the state line for the weekend and go and to Colorado and and uh, you know enjoy some of that, and then you know on Monday you come back. Um, they're they're not sure what kind of shape their people are coming back to work in. And I think it's going to take a little bit of uh, work and, and research to sort of fully get a handle on that. Interesting.
0: Let me ask you this. Uh, in terms of all the things that you've seen and you've seen a lot, was there any one particular thing that you've seen that really stands out with you that you've witnessed or – or experience through all your years in rescue and fighting fires—is there anything that really, looking at you, go like, "Wow, you're just like unbelievable that what I saw or what I experienced."
1: Is there anything like that? <laughs> you, you know, there, there's—I I can name off a, a couple. I don't know how graphic you want. Well, we want to be uh, <laughs> not too graphic, <laughs> right? But I, I can, I can tell you that um, the. Where I saw the most bizarre things and and what most people would consider terribly disturbing things was uh, when I was in um, down in eastern Ontario in Denega Township. We did a long stretch of Highway four hundred one where we were out doing accidents, and right. that's where we would see the most graphic stuff on the highway. And for, like
0: for the four hundred for listeners out there may not be from Ontario. The four hundred series are the four lane highways, right? So Highway four hundred They're
1: they're your yeah, your high-speed uh, multi-lane
0: autobahn, that's what they are.
1: <laughs> that's the one at the Ontario Autobahn. Yeah, that's, that's it, right. that's
0: it. So, so, yeah. so, we
1: had a long stretch of that through through Tindinaga. and some of the wrecks that we would go to um, you know, just severe injuries, traumatic injuries and uh, uh those things they 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 stand out. I mean, I I I remember a lot of them. Right. Nothing that I saw there ever, I, I would say, never disturbed me. Right. In in that, you know, I wasn't losing sleep. I wasn't having nightmares and things like that. I mean, different people, this stuff affects different oh, ways. Sure. Yeah. Um, the 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 one experience that um, that probably stayed with me, and and I, would, if I, if you want to term it that it bothered me, right. um, something that that I had difficulty dealing with was um, uh, there was a fire that we did. And it was a, uh, uh, it was a tavern fire, a a hotel. And we lost two people, two civilians uh, perished in that. Um, And and that stuck with me because that, I was in command of that fire. Uh, And in fact, it was my first major fire as as deputy chief that I was in command of it. There came a point where we knew we had two people inside that, that hadn't gotten out and we were, we were, trying to get people in to rescue them. And there came a point where it, it was completely unsafe to send people in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I had to make the decision that, okay, we're not going in anymore. So we're basically abandoning those people that are, that are trapped inside. Um, my own people had an issue with that. They did, Nobody wanted to stop. Everybody wanted to keep going until we found those people. But um, as, as a, you know, as the commander of that scene, I had the, the responsibility to keep my own people safe, as well as, you know, keep the civilians safe. So, um, that one, that one stuck with me for a while. I, I, I doubted myself. Um, did, you know, did I make the right call? Did I, uh, uh you know, did we stop too soon? And, um, you know, uh, it, 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 took a while. And, and finally, um, I, I, I got to attend a conference where I spoke to, um, a, a battalion chief from the city of New York. Right. And he, he was doing a presentation on sort of similar things. And I got to talk to him afterwards and I told him, you know, this, this is what happened to me. And, I, and, and I wasn't sure. He said, well, how are you dealing with it? And I said, well, you know, to be honest, I'm, I'm not really sure. And he said, you have to look at it this way. He said, um, if your people have difficulty going inside in full protective gear, bringing in their own breathing air and, they're struggling to get in. What chance do you think uh, unprotected civilian has inside that building? And you know you have to do the balance. Are, are you putting these people at risk to rescue? Is it possible to bring someone alive out of that at that point? And he said, based on what you've said, I, I would say the answer is no at that. So you could have so, even
0: more people dead if, 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 exactly.
1: He, he said. He said never look at it as you lost two civilians look at it as you saved half a dozen firefighters and treat yourself like you did something good. I mean, and uh, the
0: case of the world trade center towers
1: where firefighters
0: were running up the stairs. I mean, nobody knew those buildings would collapse. Right.
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and ultimately we, there's something that we learn early on when we get into officer training and, and there's, there's a rule, um, we we will uh, We will risk a life in a calculated manner to save a life uh, we We will risk nothing to save something that 's already lost right and y- you have to keep that in mind when you're uh, you know when you' when you're in command of something like that you, if you get too focused on you know the objective is to get everyone out safe um, you 'll miss something and you know it could get a lot worse it could be so awesome. uh, Yeah. So, so I would say that, um, yeah, that, that's probably the only thing that that ever kind of stayed with me in that way. I
0: would imagine that that kind of situation, that's something that never changes. Those decisions are always case by case, you know, call by call. That's kind of a transcendent thing throughout your firefighting time. Right. Because those things never change. There's always those situations. Would you say that's valid? Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: I, I think that's right. Um, I, I remember uh, reading something one time, and it was more to do with the military, but it was it was very applicable to what we do. Um, is that you can only you can only plan the first shot of any battle. Yeah. So I mean, you can do all kinds of pre-plans, but once it starts to hit the fan. All you can do is 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 duck and weave and and make stuff up as you go, and and so we we try to do training that gives us a good foundation of the right decisions, but ultimately you're making decision after decision, just bang bang bang, and you you have to just know that you're doing the right it's thing. It's
0: like that analogy of having that aim, and you know, you're saying you're in a sailboat and the wind is shifting and you have to constantly adjust the sails as to get to that aim. And I think that's so true. in so many, uh, so many things in life, right? You have to constantly adjust. You can't just go, Oh, we're going to go straight there. No, because something's going to hit you from the side or you have to adjust as you go along. You have to adapt to the change
1: it's right and and now this this will impress you because I'm taking this from one of your earlier podcasts where where you were talking about flexibility right. and the importance the importance of flexibility right. and, uh, it, and and that kind of struck me as I was listening to it that it, you know it's very true um, when it comes to change the quicker the change is happening the more flexible you have to be to deal with it and if you're, so if you, if you think in terms of, of change that happens over a long period Subtle of time. Change. Or kind of in insid- city, I call it glacial okay, change, a where, glacial where change, it's, yeah. it's changing, but it's, it's, it's over a long right. period. And, um, you know, so it's not like you're not seeing the big differences day to day. It may be, you know, year over year, you see right. a change. And, and, and what struck me when you were talking about flexibility is that, you actually need to, to maintain less flexibility when you're dealing with a glacial change okay. rather than if you're, if you're dealing with changes that are happening rapidly, right. you need to be very flexible. You, you can't get locked into a mindset when you're dealing with changing right. situations. I think that's a, that's a, good but idea. when you when you're, when you're looking at long-term change, you you need to have some rigidity mm-hmm. and and the rigidity is is almost your 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 principles you know you you don't want to be changed based on that long term change in a bad mm-hmm. way so you you almost need to work on being a little less flexible when you're dealing with glacial mm-hmm. change and very flexible when you're dealing with rapid change yeah that's a i think that's a really uh poignant observation
0: because with a very long drawn out change if you're trying to adapt or change too quickly then you're overreacting that's right and overreacting has consequences
1: and ultimately we all stand for things and and you know in the fire service it's yeah. the same we stand for you know we have certain yeah. values those those need to remain exactly. in place even over these long-term and that's what I mean by a less flexible. Mm -hmm. So you need to hang on to some of those traditions and some of those principles. Um, And, and that's where, what I, when I say less flexibility, you know, you, you need to stick with some things, Uh, save the real flexibility for when you're bobbing and weaving and dodging, you know, falling embers and stuff. Um, So, and and I think you need to recognize the two different situations and handle, you know, to handle yourself yeah, accordingly. I think
0: um, I talked a little bit about that with my time in Germany after the fall of the Berlin Wall and uh, working with people there. And one of the points I always try to make is there are those things that are transcendent, like respecting people, treating people fairly, honesty, reliability. I mean, those are positive attributes and those are things that you don't change. You, you adapt your modus operandi Via those fundamental values, mm-hmm. and those are yep. things you're going to just whimsically change up because they're going to have You're going to have consequences, negative consequences for that. So I think I think that follows exactly onto that point you're you're making there, which is really valid. So that's uh, that's interesting. Okay, well, let's. Uh, I'm going to ask you uh, one more key question here, and then I think it's a great question to segue into the second segment which we'll, we'll break for a moment after this question and then we'll get into the second segment about more personal change as opposed to talking about the fire sector. So my last question here is what brought you to firefighting? Why?
1: That's it. That's actually an interesting question. Um, and, and uh, I, I actually know exactly why, and I can, I can bring it down to the moment where I knew that I wanted to come into the fire service hmm. And it was, um, it was probably, I uh, say, having said that I can remember exactly when it would have been in the, uh, in the early summer of 1974 oh, wow. <laughs> and living in, and, and you're familiar with the area, uh, living in that country club yep. village oh, wow, area, very well. <laughs> uh, there, there was, uh, Uh, whether you recall or not where where i lived there and this is odd that we know stuff from 1974 (laughs) about each other but uh, the the house where i lived was backed onto uh, a forested area i saved your life back there and there was a night (laughs) in in those in those woods one early summer we hadn't lived there that long and and uh it was new to my family and I living in the country like that. I mean, before we'd always lived in the city, uh, there was a brush fire, There was a bit of a forest fire going in and we could see it. It was, you know, it was nighttime. We could see the flames coming and we were worried, you know, is our house going to catch fire or whatever. Uh, and, and I can remember, um, a volunteer fire service responded to that fire and I, and, and these cars pulled up and at that time they had these, uh, these amber colored lights on the front fender of their car. Mm-hmm. That's how they, differentiated and, and all these cars with the yellow flashing lights showed up and guys uh had had, had boots and coats and helmets and the trunks of their cars and they they you know they got all this gear together and they off they went in the woods to fight the fire and a fire truck showed up and you know it was all very cool and uh you know and, and so i'm standing there watching this thinking that is the coolest thing i i can imagine doing you know like uh, an emergency happens and you just show up and and save the day. And that is awesome. And someday I want to do that. And, uh, I, I you know, I, I went a, a little bit different way, um, uh, or, you know, in my younger years and in a different career. Um, but the opportunity came to do both where I was able to get into a volunteer right. service and still, uh, you know, stay in the business that I was in. And, um, over time that it, it just became, an option for me to do it full time. And I just jumped at it. And uh, so, you know, in, in terms of it being a calling, I can, I can honestly say that it's something that, you know, from the time I was a little kid, it's something that I thought was important to do that I really thought I could do and wanted great. to do. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky enough to be able to have, um, have done that. That's good. That's really good. So, you know what, uh, chief,
0: that's, uh, we're, well, that's a great way to end the first segment and a great segue to the next segment after a brief interlude, interlude here. And uh, we'll talk more about that uh, personal change and some other key things that you can tell us your ideas on and observations and experiences. So, folks, stay tuned. We'll have a brief interlude here and we'll be back to you shortly. Thank you. Well, we're back, folks, and welcome back to the Cat Principal Podcast Part Two. We're here with Fire Chief Robert Collins. We talked to him in the first segment here about change in the fire services industry. And this part of the interview, we're now going to focus on the personal side. And we're going to drop the chief, we're going to forget the hat, and we're going to talk on a personal level in terms of change in his life, what he's undergone, what he's experienced get some insights and some observations from him. So with that, Rob, are you ready? Ready to go. Okay, great. Okay. So in keeping with that theme of change, I have a couple thoughts for you and I want to get your take on it and, and uh, some experiences that maybe you've had. So, in one of my podcasts, which uh, you may have listened to, I talked about change in a couple ways, and we kind of touched upon this in the first segment of the interview, in terms that change can happen on a drop of a dime, right? Things can be dramatic and overnight. You, could, you know, somebody can be struck down with a disease or go through a sudden divorce or death or car accident, you know, things that can dramatically change a person's life in a matter of seconds. So we all... We, we understand that, and hopefully a lot of us didn't have to, don't have to experience that, but we know that through our lives, we typically at some point will or have to have experienced that. The other type of change, which we also talked about, and you made a good point in the first uh, part of the interview, was about slow change, glacial change, as you put it, subtle change over a long period. So knowing that, uh, that, you know, change happens, but over a long, drawn-out time, which is probably, you know, routine for most of our lives, uh, maybe that's a, that's a good thing, too. But so I, I want to get your thoughts on this. I want to ask you a, a question on this. So first of all, I want to ask you, change on a dime, What have you, have you experienced it? And maybe you could give us some thoughts on what that was like and how you dealt with it. And then I'd like you to give us an example of subtle or glacial change that you found over a long period and how you've come to terms with that and uh, dealing with that type of change. So maybe you could start off with change on the dime. You could talk about something there, Rob.
1: Well, it's probably the, the most drastic change that I've dealt with personally is um, I, I I had a uh, I had a good job situation. I I'd, I'd actually moved uh, out to British Columbia for a job out there, a city called um, Mission, the district of Mission. And I was a assistant fire chief out there, and, and so I mean it was a it was one of those good changes to go out there. It was something I you know looked forward to, and it was a it was a total life change. I was living in a new place. I was uh, you know in in a new department in a new role, all new people. Uh, and so, I mean, professionally, I mean, the change was going on. It was, it was good. I was enjoying it because, uh, you know, I, you know, that changes uh, a lot of times is, is a really enjoyable thing. And, and, you know, we all kind of look for it right. From time to time, we say, it gives you an adrenaline, right.
0: Especially when it's a positive yeah. thing, it gives you that extra yeah. excitement, right.
1: Uh, I, I you, you get stuck in a rut otherwise. And, and, you know, things, things just get boring. So once in a while, it's really good if you get a chance to make a big change. And I know you've, you've made a few, you know, mm-hmm. you've gone to, you know, when you went to live in Europe and right. uh, different things. So yeah. I, I was enjoying that change. I was, I was, I was really into it and, and things were going well, uh, as, or, or so I thought, right. Uh, I, I actually took a bit of a vacation, came back to Ontario, saw the family and friends and, mm-hmm. uh, Telling everybody how good everything is going, and I'm really enjoying it. Went back out the the first day back to work. Uh, near the end of the day, I get called into the the chief's office, and uh, basically they let me go, no no warning at all, um, which was a total yeah. shock. It was that the weight of the world come crashing down on me. Right? It was uh, it was that kind of change. Um, so that was that. That's probably. The example of the most the, the, stunning it, life-changing change for me. And, and
0: if I could just something briefly there, Rob is if you. and I think you've listened to some of it. I'm sure some of our listeners maybe have listened to Dr. Jordan Peterson. He actually talks about this also in terms of when that sort of change happens. It's like you're suddenly in chaos as opposed to order.
1: And yeah, exactly. That,
0: it's that borderline. And when we get thrown in chaos, that's the feeling you get. And, and yeah, I'm uh, keep going. I just wanted to. Didn't mention
1: that, yeah. So I mean, in, in terms of how that, how that felt, uh, I I sat in an office and, and had this sort of exit interview with with the, the the fire chief and the the CAO of the town, and and basically it was you're done as of now. that was in that type of position. You're typically you know they walk out the door. I, I I didn't even get to clean up my office. They said you know we'll do it. We'll send it to you. you we'll drive you home if you want. Wow. Um, i i was i was stunned i didn't know what to think i didn't know you know and you lying. never had that
0: happen to you before right
1: never never i had never been fired ever from anything in my life um and here you make it so,
0: across the country and this happens
1: yeah it was it was stunning to say the least so uh i i i declined the offer for the, the ride home i figured a, a walk would do me good right uh so I, I walked out the door and I walked back to my place and I had no idea what to do. It was it was the most deflating difficult thing to deal with ever. You know, what'd was, you do
0: that night? what do that night when you got in the door?
1: You know, I my I I wasn't sure what to do. I, I sat in a chair and 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 probably looked at the wall until it started to get dark. Uh, you know, so probably two hours, I just sat there wondering, what am I going to do? Right? Um, I, 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 uh, I picked up the phone, I called my wife, my wife was still in uh, Ontario at, at the time, and I had yeah. moved out there and yeah. uh, ta- called and, and talked to her. And, you know, she was supportive and mm-hmm. uh, basically said, you know, you just just bounce back from it. Don't don't worry about it. It's not a it's not a the end of the world it's right. it's an opportunity to do something she said lots of good advice you know and yeah uh, my 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 first thought when i when i first got home i said you know i i, I think i'm just gonna i'm gonna sit here and, and just get drunk and drown my sorrows and, <laughs> and 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 feel bad for myself but uh i i didn't i for whatever reason i just i i didn't feel like that was the thing to do Right. So I, uh, you know, I sat for a while and, and, and thought about things and, and I said, you know, I, I'm, I, I've got, uh, I've got an opportunity. I'm in a beautiful part of the country. Uh, I'm here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to just go in and do something that I enjoy. Uh, I'm going to do something I want to do and just, uh, forget about this for now. Uh, just get it off my mind, go and do something I enjoy. So I, uh, did a little bit of Looking around online to see a okay. place I wanted to go, I, I decided I wanted to go golfing in Bandon Dunes, Oregon. Okay, which was uh, a five six hour drive away. Um, very nice course. They they've had uh, you know major uh, professional tournaments there, and uh-huh. uh, very beautiful area. I'm going to drive that, down. That's go
0: right on the also. ocean. Is that right on the ocean?
1: Right. Yeah, it's on the ocean in uh, the southern part of uh, of Oregon, right on the co- on the coast. So sure. uh, I. Uh, I decided that's what I was going to do. So I, I went online. I, I uh, you know, figured out all the details, how to get there and everything. Uh, first thing the next morning, I just packed a few things, jumped in my car, and, and uh, off I went. Um, uh, I, I took kind of the scenic route. I drove along the, the, the Pacific Coast Highway, beautiful scenery, and listened to some music. Uh, had the sunroof open in my car, just, uh, you know, enjoying the drive and the, the nice weather and just getting things off my mind. Um, I got, somehow I got twisted around, I got lost and Mm -hmm. I, I, I I just, uh, I lost some time somewhere and, and, uh, it it was starting to get dark and I still hadn't gotten to band Um, and I I said, you know, maybe I'll stop for the night. It it was like that, that Eagle song, right? Hotel California. And my, my head grew heavy and my sight grew dim. And, uh, I I said, I'm just going to stop and then I'll carry on in the morning. And I, I happened to be at a place called Cannon Beach, Okay. which I had never heard of. Uh-huh. I, I'd never seen it before. I, I hadn't heard of it. Didn't really know it was just a town. Um, right. Pulled in there, got a, a hotel. As far right as you, down... it was just a town, right? Yeah, it was just a town. Yeah, okay. As far as that, that I, I knew nothing of it.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, I drove along there. There was a, a apparently a, a waterfront strip. It was dark, so I couldn't see the ocean at that point, but uh, I found a little motel and they, they had vacancy and uh, I, I decided to stay for the night. And, and uh, the next morning I get up and went for a walk down to the beach and it, it was, it was beautiful. It was, it was one of the most beautiful beaches I'd been on hmm. uh, and the, the place it, it, you know, it really spoke to me. So uh, it ended up, I, I didn't carry on to band and I, decided I was going to stay there. So I uh, arranged for my room for a couple more nights and uh, I just, uh, you know, I walked on the beach and uh, did a little bit of touristy stuff. I you know, drank a little whiskey, smoked some cigars. Uh, just had, a, it was a, it was a, a relaxing place and it was, um, it was what I needed at the time. It really it, it helped me get my head back straight again. Mm-hmm. And by the time I went back, I was, uh, you know, I was ready to deal with the, the next change.
0: How long, how long did you stay there?
1: Uh, I stayed there three days. And, um, and,
0: okay. And, and during that three days, you spent a lot of time on the beach then or just relaxing?
1: Yeah, I, I, I did end up going and uh, playing golf one day. Yeah. Um, uh, not at Bandon Dunes, but uh, yeah. at, a, at a place near Cannon Beach, nice little golf course, little links course. And uh Interesting thing. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I know we've talked before about golf being a mental game right. and, and how, how changes like this can come in and out of your head. Right. Um, the first nine holes, it was the best nine holes of golf I had ever played in my life. And before <laughs> or since I, wow. I shot uh, two over par on the, on the front nine, I, mm-hmm. I shot a, a 38, right. which was the best score I'd ever golfed ever. And, and I thought, this is this is great. You know, I'm, I'm loving it here. Um, got onto the back nine, and for some reason, that work situation popped into my head. Uh-huh. And I, I started thinking about getting fired and right. uh, that I was going to have to go find another job. And that chief was an idiot, and I didn't like him anymore, and blah, blah, blah. And it got in my head, and I, I couldn't golf anymore. I My score just went terrible. Um, so then I after that, I, I, I just said, no, oh, I'm not thinking about it anymore. And I just, I, I moved, I decided then to move on. And, uh, by the time I drove back to BC, uh, a few days later, my, my head was in a better place. And, uh, you know, I was ready to tackle the next, the next bit of change.
0: And how'd you, how'd you go about doing that?
1: Uh, just at, at first I said, I'm going to stay out here. I'm going to find a job in BC. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I had the luxury of, I, I had my place that I had rented and, uh, you know, I still had to stay there for a while anyway. And, mm-hmm. um, I just said, yeah, I'll just, uh, see if I can find something else. And, uh, it, it didn't end up that, uh, I, you know, I wasn't able to find something else in BC before right. I had to come back to Ontario. But, uh, you know, I, I went through all those motions and, and just, uh, what you do when you're looking for work, you know, just start applying for jobs and do some interviews and uh, just get out there and start to sell yourself again.
0: What, what is it that, that drive down to Cannon beach and sitting on the beach and playing golf and just chilling, relaxing? uh, What is it that, I don't know if you can put your, well something more tangible on that in terms of, what is it that helps you that helps one get through a t- you know a tough time like that, that a sudden change like that. What do you think it is that it kind of just puts you at peace with it, maybe? I don't I don't know. I just want to get your thought.
1: You know what I, I think for me, and I, you know it's obviously gonna be a personal thing for, for everybody, mm-hmm. but uh, for me in that in that at that particular time in that place, what it did was it got me out of my own head. Mm-hmm. And when and, you know when I first got home the night the, the first night I, I, I was thinking about nothing but uh, what, did, what did I do wrong? Um, what, what am I going to do now uh, sort of uh, blaming myself and and just uh, just dwelling on things and and I think being in that spot on that beach uh, in those surroundings just it just helped me be able to get out of my head for a while which mm-hmm. I needed to do and concentrate on something else um, get some fresh thoughts think about something better uh, and, and and get on to something more positive. I think that so, was the key. Um, okay so
0: when you're sitting at the I'm gonna try to get a hold I'm gonna try to drill down a bit here uh, So when you were sitting on the you know sitting in a chair on the ocean on the beach, maybe having a cigar, drink or whatever and you' hearing the ocean come in and out and the scenery what went through your head?
1: Just that, just, just being in, in that moment Yeah. Uh, the you know, the, the sights, the smells, the sounds, mm-hmm. uh, the taste of a good Cuban cigar, uh, a little, little flask of uh, a good bourbon with me there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just thinking about that rather than my situation, mm-hmm. uh, watching the sunset, uh, feeling that ocean breeze and right. uh, just, just enjoying just, Being in that particular moment and uh, concentrating on that rather than anything else that was going on inside my head, I think was the most important thing.
0: So maybe this points to something that when a sudden change happens that's not for the better, maybe a change of environment is a good thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And and not everybody is able to just pick up and go somewhere else, but it get into a situation where you can just be in that moment. Um, go watch a ball game and just right. Be, be involved in the game or, you know, a hockey game or, uh, even a movie would probably work just, just to get yourself out of your own thoughts and concentrate on something external that can, uh, uh, you know, it's just distract you enough that you you Move get some positive going back in your in your thoughts.
0: So when you, like you mentioned, when you arrived back in mission from the trip, uh, then you started to, I guess, at that point, maybe the emotions weren't were simmering, and you were starting to think a little bit more logically or rationally. You know, the world's not, and it's not an end. Like like your wife had said, the world's not over you know, you'll find something different or even better. That's when, by the time you got back, you kind of settled back into those thoughts.
1: Yeah, that's I, I, that's right. That's, that's. Uh, I, I was in a much better mindset by the time I got back, for sure.
0: How long was that? How long were you away? Do you remember? I was gone for three days. Okay, well, there you go. So it's not even that long of a time, but just that switch up in three days made a big difference, didn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and and once I shifted to you know, thinking more positive things, and the, the drive back was sort of again enjoying the scenery and the, and listening to the music, and uh, just convincing myself that I can I can get forward and and get into something uh, even better than what I had. Um, it, you know, this doesn't have to be the. Uh, what's that saying about you know one door closes and a window opens or something yeah another one
0: opens yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um
1: so yeah it it was just a matter of getting into a more positive mindset and and uh just get on with it that's what you got to do and when when a change like that hits you is you just carry on
0: it's kind of ironic you were mentioning when you drove down there that your original destination was uh what was the name of the, what was the name it of the band. Name? abandoned dunes dunes, but you didn't make it there because you got lost and you got lost right yeah (laughs) so that being lost was kind of probably synonymous with the way you felt after that shock of being let go
1: yeah and and there's probably something to that and um i think during that drive I, i i was probably and it's probably a good metaphor because as i was driving down there i probably still got all that turmoil going on in my head right and so yeah i'm driving but maybe i'm not as attentive as i should be because i'm still thinking about you know how can they fire me like that and right uh, uh and i can tell you that on the way back my 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 mind was a lot more um i don't know if you say still or focused or or whatever sure. i didn't get lost on the way back i was uh I, I was more uh focused on moving forward
0: the dust had kind of settled by then right? yeah i think so
1: um, yeah, the, f- the fog had lifted.
0: Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That <settles> fog's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: yeah.
0: looking back now on that particular time, I would imagine you kind of when you're in it, it's terrible. Right. But now you're probably looking back and maybe thinking, you know what, that was a pretty good experience to have gone through.
1: Uh yeah to to be honest if that if that thought occurs there if something reminds me of of that day yeah uh, i i can still experience as negative emotions as as then okay uh it, if it sneaks up on you it can still it, i think it's it's similar to um if if you wanna uh compare it to when you when you lose somebody right uh if that if that thought is the thought of that person or the thought of that moment or when you found mm-hmm. out, if that sneaks up on you, it will hit you as negatively as it was originally.
0: So you're kind of scarred by it.
1: I, I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I think we're all maybe but a little know, scarred by. It.
0: But you know what they say: the scar is tougher skin, right?
1: Yeah. So and, and at the same time, if 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 I'm. You know, if, if I set out to think about that, and I, you know, almost like you're ready yourself for it, then yeah, it, it you can look at it more clear with clear eyes and see that, uh, you know, maybe it wasn't the worst thing to get away from there. Um, mm-hmm. that that particular place, as much as as the, the coast of British Columbia is a great place to live, that particular, yeah, uh, town is not the the nicest place to be. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, and, and, and so yeah, it, it's not the, it's not the, the worst thing that ever happened. I mean, I had the experience of being there and working there and experienced a different type of department and, uh, had some good experiences, some, some funny things and some, uh, some exciting things and uh, just moved on to whatever was next.
0: And I guess that having gone through that, you know, prepares you for future, potential things too because you came through it and you know if you've never been through that before but now you have you know that there's a light at the end of the tunnel and if for whatever reason something else like that happens dramatically you kind of can say okay i've been here been there i've been through it before i'll get through this too
1: i i think that all all your life experiences do that for you they'll they toughen you up a little bit, or they—you uh, learn something from everything bad that happens to you. But I, I'm pretty sure that somewhere along the line, something else is going to happen mm-hmm. that's completely out of the blue, and yeah. uh, you know, it's just a punch in the gut the same way, and you—you'll you, still feel just as bad initially. Mm-hmm. But uh, to your point, I think that you—you uh, you, you pull yourself out of it maybe a little easier because you know you've done it before.
0: You know, it's like what. Look- Nietzsche said, right? What doesn't destroy you makes you stronger. And yeah. and I think in my one podcast on change, I talked a bit about, uh, you know, the flexible and what is flexibility, bending, but not breaking, right? And yeah. that's when people break, for whatever reason, then, you know, some people get done in by stuff, and they never recover, they never get over it. But, uh, you know, if you come through that tough time, you're in a sense a more, I would maybe, I don't know, a more mature person or somebody who's more adept, more confident maybe also in dealing with change going forward.
1: Well, you're certainly more experienced. And then if you, I'm sure there's people out there that just go through something like that and don't learn from it and then get hit just as hard the next time and can't figure out, you know, why do I feel? Yeah, exactly. But I, I think most of us learn from, things like that and, uh, and, and are better for it in in some way.
0: Okay. So that's good. Uh, Let's talk about glacial change, then subtle change, slow change over a long period. What would you say there as an example of something that over a longer period you've had to come to terms with and change and become, more flexible, or, or or any experiences with that you can relate to? Do you have any good examples there, Ron?
1: Well, uh, a, 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 as you know, i've I've been uh, I've been married for twenty eight years now. Right. Um. Your I I wife's think uh, be listening to this. yeah. <laughs> be I mean, I have to be careful. Have to be careful. I say. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I I don't think. You can't live with someone for that amount of time and not change uh, because, you know, we 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 affect changes on each other. We we change the people that we're around and uh, and we are changed by the people that we are around. So I, I think if you look at, at, at myself uh, at, at the age of 25 or at the age of 24, um, I'm probably fundamentally changed in terms of my even, even in terms of my morals, cause I know I've learned things from, from my wife and mm-hmm. uh, I've learned things about myself and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so there, but because of the nature of that change, I, I can't point to one specific thing right off the top of my head. It's, but, but somebody else probably could.
0: Over a, over a longer time. It's, it's maybe tougher to, to notice that because it, it doesn't stand out like a, a sudden change like with what happened to you out in bc exactly
1: and and, and as the change is happening and you're seeing it every day uh, you're you're not noticing the change right and, and it's kind of like the you know the analogy of the the frog in the boiling water right the, the, the frog will stay in there as the water starts to boil and the, the the frog won't get out and and part of it is you know you get used to what you deal with mm-hmm. and maybe you don't see that you're changing or you don't see that your environment around you is changing and uh, we, we, I think we're, we're less able to see change in ourselves than other people uh, would see. Yeah, yeah, I, I
0: tend to, uh, to agree that you have to be, I think there's a degree of self-awareness that's required to sit back and, and think about over the long term. How you've changed as a person, because clearly, if you're not the same person you are, I mean, if you're the same person at 45 that you are at 25, there's something wrong.
1: Oh, exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah, every experience that you go through, good, bad, or otherwise, is leaving some kind of change or, you know, leaving some kind of mark or, uh, giving you a different level of experience, so it, yeah, it's it that's changing you for sure.
0: And I guess it's coming to terms with what you do about it, how you react to it.
1: Yeah, I think sometimes you sometimes you don't do anything about it. Uh-huh. Uh, some some change happens that it, it just happens. Uh, some of us lose our hair. <laughs> Not, not to not to you know mention anyone in particular, but uh, I, I I can say that you know over the course of my life I have lost and gained hundreds of pounds, uh, which which uh, well that yeah. there,
0: there, that there's an interesting that's an interesting topic right there because many many people many of us deal with problem, you know, challenge of weight 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 gain weight loss. Yep. dieting. and that's a subtle change. It doesn't come overnight, right? It, that's it's- right. Uh,
1: my my point was that don't don't mean to interrupt your point, but um, uh, when when you're doing that, most of the time, when you're when you're gaining or losing weight, you don't see it yourself day to day, even though you you may look in the mirror and you don't see that change. Uh, and but then, but somebody that hasn't seen you for three or four months. And they notice, oh my God, you've you've lost all kinds of weight. Um, you know, ho- hopefully they're polite enough not to say that when it goes the other way and you've gained a bunch of weight. <laughs> oh my God, you're fat.
0: <laughs> you just got fat shamed.
1: <laughs> but uh, yeah, you don't see it yourself, and and um, sometimes it takes somebody else's reaction before you realize it. Oh yeah, I guess that's that's uh, you know. Well, wow. yeah you'll 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 get that suit out that you haven't worn in a couple of years and you and you you're blaming it on closet shrinkage because I, I couldn't have gained that much weight. This thing fit me the last time I wore it.
0: But okay. But with regards to this glacial change or subtle change, slow change, to affect, say it's a weight loss, you have to make up you have to make up a change. You have to change your lifestyle, your eating patterns or your diet. So there's a change. you're actually, Being self-disciplined to effect a change.
1: Yeah, that's true in in that in that uh, instance. uh, But in in, if you look at it in the case of uh, uh, somebody that loses their hair, it's not their choice. It's not not their choice. It just happens, and um, yeah, accept that. Having not experienced that, I'm not sure that you (laughs) that you notice it day to day. I mean, I'm sure you don't notice it day over day, but uh, year over oh, year, I'm sure.
0: Those days are long gone for me. I, I've no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you don't wake up every day and go, damn, two more follicles have gone. No, uh, no. But it, it, you, you look at that picture from last year and, and say, wow, look, look how, look how much my forehead has grown.
0: Well, I think, you know, to, to that, yeah. To that, that point though, I mean, aging, how many yeah. people have a challenge with aging? A lot of people do. And, you know, as one gets older, people, some people are just, oh, they're aberrant of thinking of getting older. They don't, they don't deal with aging very well. And that's change and we have no choice. So that's also a way of, you have to deal with that. You have to accept that we're all aging, Right.
1: Personally, the the aging thing is one that I'm. I, I maybe haven't been uh, as conscious of, and, and I'll catch myself thinking that I'm, you know, I'm still 25. Uh, but then something something will hit you. You know, you you look at a list of the top songs of right. the summer and go, I don't know any of those songs. Yeah, that's <laughs> and that's when you sort of you realize, oh, you know what? I'm not 25 anymore. I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not in the middle of this stuff anymore. And, and, and it kind of hits you. I, I, I tend not to be um, that, that age conscious. I, I, I think I, uh, I, I I had a sort of a dose of reality in that department last summer when I was, uh, right. when, when I spent all that time in the hospital, I think the, the aging um, sort of came to, to the forefront there in, in that experience. But So,
0: so overall, what, happened, what happened there? If you can elaborate
1: well, I had a, uh, a, a back issue two years ago now, I guess. Um, I, I threw up my back, and it didn't get any better. And i would uh, just throw it out. Bro. I was golfing, and, and I'd like to say that I was winding up and, and uh, hitting a 400-yard drive. Not at not uh, Cannon
0: Beach, I hope.
1: Not at Cannon Beach. Hey, no, this, was at, cool. uh, this was in Quebec at, at Mount Tremblant. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I, I was putting. I, I, it wasn't even a, a big shot. It was, I was lined up for a putt in my uh-huh. back. I could I could feel something in my back and it was just excruciating pain. Uh-huh. And, uh, I, you know, we've all had a little bit of back pain once in a while before, but this was something else. And, it's uh, like,
0: what, like a knife going through your back or uh,
1: at least that bad. Yeah. And, 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 wow. and, what, and what happened was I, I got this instant pain that went all the way down my left leg and it, it was, uh, I, I just thought, uh, okay, I've pulled something I need to stretch. I, I, we didn't even stop the golf round. I mean, I couldn't swing anymore, but I I rode around in the cart, and we'd pull up at a hole, and the rest of the guys would get out to hit a ball, and I'd just get out and lay on the ground and try to stretch. I figured, that this, this will be better by morning. Um, but it, it got progressively worse, and I, uh, I started getting – uh, numbness that started in my, in my toes again on the left leg and it, and it started working its way upward. And I, I had just constant pain in my, in my back and in my leg. And it just, it, I went to chiropractors and I did uh, massage therapy and all that stuff and, uh, nothing made it any better. And eventually I, I got to see a surgeon in, right. uh, in Toronto and, uh, uh, after he did a, a bunch of tests and exams and. About ultrasounds and MRIs and all that stuff and uh, he, he told me that if I didn't get surgery right away that I would be in a wheelchair right. and uh, what had happened was my, my spinal cord, um, there was a bone spur on the inside of my spinal column and that it had actually pierced the spinal cord and the cord was now impaled on this bone spur so Jeez. there was some, some damage there and, and some nerve damage that was getting worse as as time went on, so um, so I, I I agreed, yeah, i got to have the surgery done then and, and it was uh, they told me I was going to be in the hospital for uh, the, the, the operation would take four hours, and I would be in the hospital for four or five days, and then I would have um, recovery uh, rehab and some exercise, and I'd be back to work in a uh, month or so right so uh, when in had the surgery done, it was a success it it, it ended up taking eight hours to do the surgery rather than four. Uh, but that was fine. I, I, it, it, when I woke up from that surgery right away, the pain was gone, which was, hmm. which was great because it was the first time in over a year. Uh,
0: hi there, Rob. I think we lost the connection, but uh, you're back there. We're talking about the surgery, so we can just pick it up from there again.
1: All right. Uh, not, not sure uh, where I left off there.
0: Uh, you're just talking about the eight hour surgery and when you came out of it, the pain was gone.
1: Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, so, uh, for the first time in, in well over a year that there, there was no pain, everything felt pretty good. Uh, uh, they, they offered me all kinds of good drugs, but I didn't really feel the need to take any of them, which I thought was re- really positive. But, uh, as time went on, I had had a couple of little complications. I ended up staying longer, uh, Actually, I ended up in there for four weeks before I was finally able to leave the hospital. Um, went home and uh, had some more com- complications, and then uh, back for a second surgery, and uh, and then it was just a long ordeal of being in that hospital, and it seemed like it was never going to end. Wow! And uh, that that is uh, that experience actually of of all the experiences I've gone through that one made me feel like uh that that I had gotten older even okay. over the over the course of that experience I aged right. hmm. and and people have told me that actually well, my wife but she's she's too honest most of the time anyway but uh, <laughs> when I when I came home from that she said you know this this has really aged you and, and I went in what way yeah, in what way thanks Why? a lot <laughs> um it, it, the, the first thing she noticed was, was, uh, was actually a physical change. She said, she said, I was, I looked older. Um, and, and, but I think beyond that, I, I, I think it, it maybe changed my attitude. I think I would, I came away from that maybe more beaten down than, uh, than I expected. Uh, you know, just feeling like, yeah, you know, wow, this is really difficult. And, uh, maybe I'm not going to come back from this the same way, you know, and, um, so that was, it It was difficult. And, and, and there, you know, it, it that was one of those changes that it wasn't sudden. It, right. it, it was, it, it was ongoing. It was, it was Chinese water torture, you know, it right. was just a little more every day. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, 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 it makes, uh, it, it does, that, that leaves a mark as well.
0: Hmm. What do you think the, uh, you know, coming out of that, coming through that now. And, uh, what do you think the biggest lesson there was?
1: Uh, That's a perseverance lesson. I think Mm -hmm. that that's, that's one of the ones where, uh, rather than, um, you know, deal with the blow and learn from it. This, this is one where this is something that you have to learn to deal with day by day. Okay. And, And I, I think, uh, I, I think if you start to lose that belief that everything's going to be okay, then it gets, it gets to be kind of dark days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there were some times there where, you know, I was thinking that maybe it's not going to get better than this. And and, mm-hmm. and maybe this, this is what I'm stuck with. And that, that's kind of a hard thing to to deal with. And, and that's the type of thing that you, uh, you know, you deal with by yourself at three o'clock in the morning and, uh, um, it, it's something that it's a different, type of thing that you need to get through would you call
0: that having i mean perseverance also self-discipline of knowing that you can you're going to get through this
1: well it's good if you if you can maintain that but th- yeah. that's a tough discipline to maintain and it's it's pretty easy for the doubts to creep in
0: how would you say how would you prevent the doubts from creeping in what would you try to do to counteract that
1: i i, I think some people are uh naturally able to look on the bright side of things and and I think that's what you have to try to do you have to try to uh, so so you know when, when i when when I would start to get down personally i would i would think well i'm better off than I was six months ago okay uh, and and at at some point uh, there there was a point there where it it kind of almost turned angry for a few days mm-hmm. uh but uh i i i think overall you you have to you have to keep that positive and, and, you know, to go back to the positive mindset thing, mm-hmm. um, if you're going to deal with that kind of, with that kind of change, you, you, you have to have some self-belief. Uh, if you lose that, I think then, uh, that, that's when you get yourself into trouble. And how about
0: specific concrete examples of what helped you to keep a positive mindset? Did you do anything specific when, while you were in a, in bed laying there waiting to get through this ordeal
1: i'm probably i'm probably not the best at that uh and and that's when i would you know i'd get into things where the where the doubts would start to creep in and i'm probably not somebody that can give advice on how best deal with that because i probably didn't deal with it as well as some people have
0: like I, i'm thinking did for example, as a concrete example, uh, concrete ex, uh, action or whatever. Uh, did you read? Did you listen to music? Like anything specific that kind of helped you through?
1: I, I probably. Uh, the music's always a big thing for me, so um, mm-hmm. I, I, I had the headphones on most of the time. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I, I'm I'm kind of a doer person, you know. If I if I have to deal with something, I want to do something about right. it. Right. Um, uh, and, and so one way that that showed up was at, at some point, eventually I was a, a, allowed to get out of bed and they, they, I bugged them every day, you know, can I get up and walk around and <laughs> for the longest time? I couldn't, you know, I so had an
0: irritating patient.
1: I probably wasn't the best patient. I'm sure. Uh, I had lots of the, the people couldn't believe that I would, that I had been there that long and I was in as good a spirits as I was, but I, I'm sure I was a bad patient to deal with. Uh, but when they, when I finally was able to you know they say, "Okay, you can get up and walk to the you know the other side of the room and come back to the bed again well that was never good enough i mean i I was constantly up sneaking out of the room, walking around the halls and uh, uh you know i i just i I had to do something I had to start getting stronger again. I knew that there was exercise and stuff that was coming, and I wanted okay. to get at it so uh i I remember one day getting getting caught by one of the nurses walking up and down the stairs because I figured. And, you know, I got to, I'll do some exercise. I'll just walk flights of stairs and and the nurse happened to walk into the stairwell and she saw me and just, you can't be doing that. You're not even supposed to be walking. I was like, I got to do it. I got to get strong. uh, So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm the type that that I I need to get out there and get doing something to make things better. If I, if I'm stuck thinking about stuff, that's probably when I don't do as well at it. So, what do you think of change, Rob? I'm a fan of change overall. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I if I get in a situation where I'm the where things are the same for a while, I start looking for something new. Uh-huh. I've I've changed jobs a number of times. Um, I, I think right now I'm approaching the record for the longest I've been in one. Well,
0: Hold on. You've been in a fire service as we talked discussed earlier, twenty Ooh, eight years. Yes. Yeah.
1: Right? That's right. That, that's but fun. I've know,
0: and, and you've had change within that, right? Uh, the yep. different
1: you know. But the change of change of location, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So I've I've moved from place to place and I it's never next door. Uh, you know, it's always it's, I, I like I enjoy packing up, moving into a new place, learning a new city, meeting some new people, uh mm-hmm. getting into a new fire department. Um, I, I enjoy that, and I I, I kind of need that. So I, I'm I'm not one of those people that um, is is so set in the sameness of things and and need things to be the same.
0: How do you how do you counteract
1: that on a daily basis? I, day day to day, yeah. It, I like
0: we I, all I, we all live. I mean. How long have you been at town of Blue Mountains now? How many years is it? Um, four and a half years. Okay, now. so four and a half years there. So I mean, realistically, we can't be changing around all the time. So uh you're there four and a half years. What do you do to try to keep things interesting still?
1: Well, um personally that, that I'm always you know, there's always a new hobby or there's always a twist on a hobby that I'm doing. So, I'm I'm uh, playing music now. I'm uh, uh, I took up cycling as part of my recovery from uh, from the surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, I always have to have something new that I'm doing or trying, and uh, even even to the point of you know I'm gonna try cooking something different or I'm gonna yeah, do something different with the house. Uh, he, he, I, I can't get stuck in a rut or a, it feels like a rut. And then I, I'm not happy. And, and even uh, it, professionally, you know, at work, I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for ways to change things up. And my, the, the people that work for me will tell you that, you know, I, I just can't leave stuff alone. I, it, it it's not, uh, you know, if if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sometimes if it ain't broke, paint it. Right. And uh, uh, I, I just, I, I like to keep things fresh. And I know that, not everybody likes that. There are some people that that prefer routine and the sameness and, and and uh, you know, they want their view to be the same every day, but that's not personally. Well, that's not I, me. I,
0: I think routine has its place, right? Because we do need a structure to how we live our lives. There has to be some kind of structure and routine kind of provides that underlying structure from which then you can affect change.
1: I think p- different people rely on structure to different extents i I know that there are people that uh that have to drive home the same way from work every day okay or uh you know they have to get up at the same time and eat the same breakfast every day or they or they don't feel right And, and to the point where you know some people are that there are people that uh that deal with sort of a mental illness where they they absolutely have to have that same routine every day or it just throws them completely off. But mm-hmm. I, that, that's me. I, I'm i am not somebody that necessarily needs a routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: What is it about, you mentioned music. What is it about playing, you play guitar. Is that, that's right. Right. Guitar. Yeah. And yep. what, how do you, I mean, music is such a, a broad subject, but uh, how do you, with, with a lot of change within music, I guess, and maybe you can.
1: It, it's, a, it's a, it's a, well first it's a creative outlet right uh, which, which is important and and so uh w- there's always new things to learn and so so you obviously you don't go and play the same songs every no. every time you practice or you venture uh,
0: into that chaos uh, that what what you don't know yet right
1: that's right you 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 push the ba- the boundaries a little bit and you, a- you you know, you, you want to see yourself improving and Uh, sometimes you get bored of playing the same song. So you, Hey, learn something else and maybe I'll learn a whole different style of music. For example, uh, uh, over the last year, I've taken up um, slide guitar playing, which um, I've always kind of liked the sound of it, but I didn't know how to do it. And uh, uh, so I've taken that up and, and kind of learned that. So um, that, that that's been interesting and enjoyable and it keeps things fresh and changes things up even on a small scale.
0: And do you play with interact with other people playing as well or is it more solo?
1: Uh no, there's a there's a group of guys that I've been uh that I've been playing with and uh uh we we get together we try to get together weekly and um you, you know, we always talk about we're gonna we're gonna play some shows and do some gigs, but uh so far it's been mostly just uh uh jamming in the basement. And, Uh, which is a good time on its in in its own right as well.
0: So that would be a a step change once you, the band starts to go outside of their comfort zone and maybe play in different venues.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and, uh, musicians and, and bands are, uh, a bit of chaos at the best of times anyhow, okay um so for example uh the, two years ago we started playing with a with a group of guys and uh uh we, we got along pretty well and 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 we made some progress and we learned some stuff and uh we played one show and uh, it was uh, uh, i thought it was a great success and uh at the day probably the day or two after that then the, the band broke up and it just that, <laughs> that was that so we had to start yeah, and, and that's typical. You know, bands don't don't typically stay together that long. But uh, this this one was kind of disappointing because uh, I it, it was such a high point when we played that one uh, that one little show. Maybe
0: somebody in the band couldn't deal with the change. <laughs> Maybe.
1: Yeah, egos get in the way.
0: <laughs> well, that's an interesting topic. Like egos play a big role in why and why people do do or don't do uh, certain things right that's right Uh, and maybe that comes back to fear because their fear of failure and change often means trying new things right and then not being able to do it it hurts the ego and it's scary and so people in order to avoid bruising their ego decide not to try anything new and hence they kind of stagnate
1: yeah, there's that, and and I think there's also uh, everybody has a, a different sort of type of ego or type of a uh, style of ego, right. and and sometimes they don't react well together. So you could have two people that are very good at what they do uh, and and seem like they would get along, and then you put them in a situation where there's maybe a little bit of competition or mm-hmm. they play off each other, and they, <clears throat> their their style is is just such that when they interact together. It doesn't work. Well, uh, put those same two people with two different people and, and they interact better. There, there's, there's sort of a, a chemistry there. That's uh, uh, it's, it's hard to define, but it's definitely there. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Okay. Well, maybe we can, uh, as we slowly wrap up uh, a couple other quick things here, I want to ask you is, uh, if you had to give any words of advice, to in dealing with change is there anything that you would you would say any thoughts
1: uh i would say the 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 biggest waste of time and energy is trying to completely resist change Mm -hmm. and There, there are many cases, many people that will uh, any little bit of change. They, they, they put everything they've got into resisting. You know, I want things to stay the same. I don't want change, and and that is the biggest waste of energy. Mm -hmm. If if you if you take that energy and and put it into adapting to the change or making the change work to your advantage, right? uh, That that energy is it's so much better used. It's like uh, I, I don't know how much you know about martial arts.
0: Not very uh, much.
1: <laughs> one, one of the things that I, I actually, uh, one, one of my changes years back was I, uh, I took up Taekwondo. Okay. And one of the things you learn there is that uh, if, if someone is going to strike you, if an enemy is going to hit you, mm-hmm. uh, is that you can actually, there are techniques that you learn that, that you can take that energy from that strike and you absorb that energy and turn it against your opponent. Mm-hmm. And, and it's sort of the same way with, with absorbing change. If, okay. if the, if you take the energy in a negative way and resist that change, it, that's, that's like, that's like trying to stop a punch. It doesn't work, the but opponent, if you take the
0: opponent wins,
1: that's right. That you just absorb the impact and, and you suffer the consequences. Okay. If, if you take the energy of that change and turn it and harness it and use it in a positive way, mm-hmm. then you're going to make that change work to your advantage. And if you can, uh, and that all sounds really nebulous and out there, but it, it's really true that, that, that the more time and effort you waste resisting because change is inevitable. And I think right. I've heard you say that yep. uh, it, 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 it it's pointless to just resist it for the point of just, just for the sake of resisting change. Um, you, you can, you can be somewhat rigid and make sure that the change doesn't, change you in a, in a way that you don't want to be changed. A negative way, yeah. A negative way, but if you put your energy into harnessing that change and making it work to your advantage, you will find yourself far ahead in the end.
0: That's good. That's good. Any, any tip on what might be a good way in trying to do that? I mean, I guess it's be having an, having an open mindset,
1: right? I I think an open mind is important. I, I think that rather than dwell on the negative, which is easy to do, right? Uh, d- 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 rather than dwell on the negative way that that's going to affect you, try to, f- try to see a little bit further down the road and see where this could be to your advantage at some point. And, and, and if it, 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 you don't necessarily are not going to embrace it, but at least realize that there are these positives down there and, and focus on those rather than the, the negative things that you fear
0: and that is probably what happened when you went to Cannon beach
1: yeah i I think so i i think you're right that uh as i said that it cleared my head and i think getting the, the the negativity cleared out let me let the positivity come through and i was able to harness that positivity and move forward good Okay,
0: one last quick question. A little bit maybe off topic, but what's a favorite book that you have? One favorite book that if you were going to gift to 100 people, what book would that be?
1: My my favorite book has. It's always it's a it's a bit obscure. Mm-hmm. It's a fiction it's a fiction book. It okay. is the Stand by Stephen King.
0: Great read. I've read it. It's very good. And my follow up to that is why.
1: Uh, that it, it resonated with me it, it, and and again i think it was um it it, it was a, a series of bad events and yeah. I, the the people that succeeded the people that were heroic in that story uh were the ones that that always moved forward through the uh the bad um and 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 stayed positive and and, and the the book the book sort of masquerades as a uh, almost a religious type story Of good versus evil but i think it's 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 positive versus negative and i think that's what i took from it and that's why uh why i sort of have hung on to it over the years
0: when i think of that book i never i can never get that scene out of that book where they're getting through the tunnel from i think it's manhattan to the to the mainland and when they're going through that tunnel that's like the creepiest (laughs)
1: That, I, I, I know exactly the part you're talking about. I yeah. can remember the first time I read that and I yeah. was, I was taken by the, the skill of, of that writer. And I, I hadn't read much of, Which is of Stephen, Stephen King. King, right?
0: Stephen I, King yeah. Yeah.
1: I hadn't read much of his work before, but that the way that he could take those words and make you actually feel the fear yeah. that those people felt in that tunnel, that, that, that was, that was amazing to me. I, I, uh, beyond the story and anything just the technical ability also is something that that stuck with me about that book it's like and kind of, and so yeah,
0: yeah. so much of his writing right and yeah and and just i remember reading that too and uh, that that scene and i it just it almost gives you the shivers up the spine <laughs> yep. if you to the audience out there if you haven't read it pick up a copy of the stand or or maybe rob will send you one <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, hey, I, I, have, yeah. I have actually gifted that book and I'm trying to remember, did I not give that to you?
0: Uh, no, I think you gave me another one. Uh, oh, maybe. I think I bought that one after you had gifted me another one. And I'm trying to.
1: remember. I think I gave you insomnia.
0: That's the one.
1: That and and I also to. gave you a book called insomnia, but it, yeah, that's a different story. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh Chief Collins, Rob, thanks for, I think that sums it up. I don't know if there's any final words or thoughts you'd like to say, but I think that was a very interesting observational uh, interview and I appreciate you coming on the, the podcast.
1: Well, I hope uh, any, anybody that happens to be listening, I hope they uh, found it uh, in, as interesting as I did. It was a good conversation as, as, uh, as I expected. And uh, uh, again, best of luck with this podcast endeavor of yours and I'm sure it'll do well yeah thank you and
0: just as a note to that uh, to the audience out there there are comments uh, I think you're able to uh, we're open to any questions or comments you have Uh, glad to field them you can send them in and uh, and at some point uh, most likely we'll have uh, Rob back uh, Chief Collins back for uh, another interview so appreciate you again thanks for coming on Rob and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend.
1: Yeah, and look forward to the next
0: one. And uh, maybe I'll just sum up quickly here to everybody out there. Uh, you can get the book, The Cat Principle, Change Action Trust, on Amazon Worldwide as well as on Barnes & Noble. Uh, change Action Trust, all about those themes. Today we tackled change. The last two episodes were on that. Great interview with Rob, you just heard. And uh, the next episodes we'll be talking about uh, action. So we'll be getting into that phase of it and uh in the meantime i uh, wish you all a great long weekend a happy easter and rob thank you again and we'll be talking soon all right thanks okay have a good night bye now